let me, let's take a second and step back. What is fiduciary? Because this question, we haven't defined that. Fiduciary means someone acting in the sole interest of the client, putting their interests way ahead of their own. They've got to be compensated. That's part of being a fiduciary. They're being compensated as a professional to act only in the interests of their client. And there's a one-word definition in Old English that comes through here, steward. That's a fiduciary position, one who's acting in the sole interest of their employer. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure. And now that's it for the radio voices. We're going to, uh, wait, can we say Sunday three times? Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Why would you say Sunday, Sunday, Sunday? Because it's a day of the week three times. I don't know. Oh, well, oh, okay. exercising my radio voice, and that's one that, for some reason, radio voices, you got to say Sunday three times. I think the Miranda clause is better. You wish me to remain silent? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say will be held against you. Especially if I repeat a day of the week three times. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. All right. So this is the Personal Wealth Coach. Uh, we are going to talk to you today about the world of finance. We're going to talk about personal finance, macroeconomics, microeconomics, the other kinds of economics in the middle, um, behavioral economics, and um, probably nothing at all about sports. Do you, do you right. have any sports commentary for the day? No. I, um, I've got uh, some is good... there any sports? Is there any sports going on? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I had an adage that I used and I thought this is going to work every time sports comes up in a conversation. I know nothing about sports, so, but I've heard enough announcers say this, the, the way you win the game is you get more points than the other team or the other no, side, but that doesn't work in golf. Right. It's the other way around in golf. Uh, you, so get, you get I'm, fewer points. I, I can't keep this straight. And, and if you hit the golf ball all the way across many, many long distances to land it in the hole you don't get three points i, I don't right. i don't yeah so we're not going to talk you, about you get, sports you get one point you get one point one point yes yeah. we we don't talk about Only sports they, very much because the depth of our ignorance is unfathomable 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 yeah and, and actually fathomable. you don't even you don't even get points you get strokes i don't want a stroke thank you no i don't either anyway this is the personal wealth coach as the gentleman with the black beard said, and I'm the gentleman with the gray beard, Jeff McClure. I'm and the, not sure about that gentleman business, but we'll go with it. Well, actually, we're not gentlemen because we still work. Technically, gentlemen don't work for a living. Anyway, the, um, the thing we do need to say, though, is that the Personal Wealth Coach is not just the name of this radio program. It's also the name of a registered investment advisory firm in Salado, Texas, that does businesses all over the country and is registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, which in no way implies that they approve of our activities. Doesn't imply that they disapprove either, but will imply it anyway because they generally disapprove of a lot of stuff. Um, I don't think they disapprove of anything that we're doing, but I wouldn't say that because they right. might because they're, they're a just, very disapproving you, bunch usually. You, you did say that just a moment ago. 
That they didn't disapprove of us? Right. I said I wasn't implying that they disapproved of us. Oh, okay. But you you wouldn't say that they approved of us, but in the in that sentence is they approved of us. So I did say, say that. Say that, but you yeah. did say it. You can okay, tell well, we're economists. Not, right. We're also nerds. Very much uh, so. Well that's those that, those two go together. That's, that's a redundant statement. Yeah. That's redundant all over again. Yeah. Um, what else do we need to tell them? We don't pay for the radio program. Right. We don't uh, get paid for the radio program either. Right. We do advertise on KTEM, but Senator, there is no quid pro quo because what we do on the radio on the radio station is advertise for the radio program. Why do we do that? Well, very frankly, a lot of our clients, we are our clients tell us that they listen to the program, and this is an excellent opportunity to have a conversation with our clients where they don't ever say anything. Yeah. And the end. And the information, this is an educational radio program. We're not giving investment advice here, even though we are the two principals in a registered investment advisory firm, uh, because you can't give investment advice to everybody and it be the same. Uh, actually, you can, but it's pretty vague advice. It's kind of like buy low, sell high, uh, save. You need to have good savings in a diversified portfolio. Uh, don't get involved in a land war in Asia. Well, that's not investment advice. Is well, in, in the original well, in term, investing, in like you, you invest troops in an area. Yeah, yeah. Right. You don't want to do that investment advice. Yeah. Right. Uh, Russia and, should not invade Ukraine. And the, uh, well, we're not giving advice to Russia right now. No. They're not, not listening. No. Okay. And the information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Or unsaid information. We, we do actually give a guarantee that unsaid information is incomplete. That is the only guarantee we will give today. I guarantee, I guarantee that. Well, oh no, now I just, I broke my own guarantee. There it was. You did. You did. There it is. We um, do have a, a question hanging out there waiting for the program to begin so we'll go to this question. Inquisitor John, our most loyal questioner, uh, has another good one. And um, he has sent in a, the, an email. The stub, subject is fiduciary duty and liability. Um, and he says, I realize this is an opinion article because as is tradition, he's taken a picture with his phone of the paper version of the Wall Street Journal to thusly convert analog to digital, sent it to us with his uh, pen markings on it as to what part of the article he's referring to in his question. And he says, how hard is it to prove a violation of fiduciary duty? And then the big three own $20 trillion in assets. Is this unprecedented in history? So the article he sent is an opinion article. He says, I realize this is an opinion article. Uh, and it's, the headline is ESG can't square with fiduciary duty. And the article is uh, written by uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr and Jed Rubenfeld, who is a Yale uh, professor of law. He's also one of those political folks. So it is an opinion on an opinion. Keep that in mind. Uh, you want, you said you wanted to address this. So, uh, I, I have some things to add to it at the end of it, I think. So go right ahead. Well, I think, I think it's important to note, and the article says that there are some attorneys general 19 to be exact, who've signed off on this letter warning BlackRock that they are likely, by the way, an attorney general saying that you're likely in violation of your fiduciary responsibility is a little odd. They generally, if, if that's like a policeman said, you likely were driving without a license, which I find a little odd personally. 
you either were driving without your license or you weren't. Uh, the judge is not going to say um, you're likely you're you probably were driving without your license. Um, but it's important to recognize that this is an opinion article. And the 19 attorney generals were Republicans, and there is a drumbeat right now against, uh, yes. I, I wanted to point this out. All 19, there's not a single Democrat on there. Mm -hmm. When you have and, and, a legal document that is clearly on one partisan side or the other, it's the same as if you had a whole bunch of attorney generals writing to any company, and they were all Democrats. The Republicans would look at that and say, that's not really a legal thing. That's a political thing. And you can see that on either side of the spectrum. So go ahead. You know, the, and there's a drumbeat about this right now because BlackRock is heavy into ESG. ESG is environmental, social, governmental. Governance. Government. Governance. Governance. Um, and it is an attempt that originated at Morningstar to attract a set of investors who are socially and socially conscious investors. And by the way, they are almost universally Democrats. Now, this is important. ESG is a Democrat sort of thing. It is a marketing sort of thing, mainly. Anybody that's that, listened to us for any length of time has heard us say, there's a lot of problems with how it's measured and yeah. we, don't, we don't like it. We don't use it. And it sounds like we're there, defending it now. And we are. There is, there is no solid definition for what ESG is. Uh, or isn't. Um, and BlackRock has verbally said that they support environmental, social, and governance investing. Um, now, this is the interesting point. Not, and, and they haven't defined it either, by the way. They don't know what, but that's a marketing statement by them. Yeah. They recognize that a lot of, a lot, well, let's put it this way the pension funds they manage, which is what this is all about, are largely composed of investors who are more likely, and you're going to think this is weird, who are more likely to be Democrats than Republicans. BlackRock is in essence saying, we are going to run our investment program in a way that you like. And that has made a lot of pension funds, governors, managers say, yay, BlackRock, let's go over there. Why do they say that? Because their job depends on keeping the pension fund members happy. Now that's the that is the story in a nutshell. Now there's an art there's a mention in here which would be a violation of fiduciary duty if it turned out to be accurate. That BlackRock is putting pressure on Exxon to produce less petroleum, but they also have an interest in uh, in their own portfolio have an interest in, in their own portfolio. Ch Petro China, China, Petro China, yeah. Yeah, um, which is, sounds like a conflict of interest. And it may be, but here's the point. If the manager of the pension fund has had pressure from management in any form or fashion, even a suggestion that he should put pressure on, that he should put, that he should put pressure on Exxon to drill less and have less oil because it would improve the performance of uh, oil companies in China, yeah, clear violation of fiduciary duty. However, there's certainly no evidence that that has occurred. Uh, no matter where you go to get in a major corporation, there's going to be a conflict if they have what's called a Chinese wall. Why they call it a Chinese wall is beyond my comprehension. Because it's a big wall. <laughs> okay, between between the two, where the pension manager is managing in the best interest of the pension, and in and interestingly enough, and this is important, in the best interest of the stated goals of the pension funds. 
Now, if the pension fund says, and many of them do, particularly state pension funds, says that they want to invest in companies that have good environmental, social, and governance ratings, then the then BlackRock is obligated as a fiduciary to invest in those companies. Now, the, the backside of this is very nicely, and this is what I find. There, there's two. There's two points. There's a point in the article that doesn't make any sense. Number one, and, and Jake mentioned this to me before the show, but it's certainly true. There is nothing in the employee employee retirement in uh, income security income Act. security act of 1974 that says a pension fund or anything other has to be managed for maximum profit. Nothing, nowhere, under yeah. no circumstances that it, says it, does it ever say that. The first paragraph of this article says, the sole interest rule requires investment fiduciaries to act to maximize financial returns, not to promote social or political objectives. That's just not true. It's an opinion right. piece by two attorneys that don't understand ERISA law. ERISA law is really clear. The fiduciaries of any retirement plan have to work in the sole interest of their client. Well, who's their client? Right. Their client are the investors there. In no place anywhere in ERISA does that say maximize potential profit. In fact, that would be a violation in many cases. It's the worst possible thing to do in many cases, people say, what do you mean maximizing potential profit? That sounds great. No, that means going into the riskiest areas of the market. That's where the highest potential profit is. And ERISA is around not taking extra risks. Now, the other part of this, this the sole interest rule. Sole interest of the employer, in this case, is a group with one entity. And if they say, I want ESG, that's my interest then acting in the sole interest of their client, if they were to try to maximize profit and completely ignored the whole ESG aspect, they then would be in breach of fiduciary responsibility. So that's, I know this gets into really technical mumbo jumbo area. We don't like ESG because it's hard to measure. Nobody can say, is this real? I mean, if, you're, if you own uh, foreign stocks of, Saudi Aramco. There are places that say that's got a high ESG rating. Well, which part of ESG is that? They're a petroleum company. A lot of people that would say that's bad on the E front. Um, they are in Saudi Arabia, which they don't really like it when women are driving cars. So the S front is not doing well. On the G front, they typically behead people as their execution method, and they still cut off the right hand of thieves. Um, so how is that a good ESG? Well, compared to, um, Nigeria. <laughs> so this is the point. You can get a high ESG rating without any kind of relativity. There's nothing. What is this related to? It doesn't make any sense. That's why we don't like it. There's another side to this. The pressure on Exxon was very carefully publicized as to why BlackRock, when they announced that they were going to encourage as a voting as a large shareholder in Exxon, why they were going to encourage uh, Exxon to produce more non-petroleum energy. And, and here's the simple reason. In the European Union, by 2035, they are not going to allow motor vehicles to be manufactured that burn petroleum, personal motor vehicles, cars. California is not going to allow the sale of cars 
that burn petroleum. So as a long-term issue, as an investment, if I if I'm looking at an investment as a, in, in in Exxon, for example, as a long-term issue, which they're supposed to do, then would you encourage Exxon to produce more oil in the face of laws that are on the book that are going to clearly reduce the use of oil by 2035? Just, just um, go, go back to something we talked about in June at the height of the oil cresting the waves of 100 and how, what was that? 100 $121 a barrel. A huge amount of money for oil. Uh, Exxon's CEO was interviewed. We talked about it at the time. And they were asking him, so are you increasing your pumping? You're going to put your, you're increasing refining capacity, right? You're going to be investing in new production and so on. And he said, no. And he said it with a great deal of force. Are you, are, no, we would have to take on debt that would be payable over a 30-year period. Mm-hmm. Yeah to buy equipment that it looks like will not be profitable in 10 years. So no, this would be a horrible move on our part. We want to look at better methods of refining what we have and diversifying our portfolio of profit potential. So if we can get into different areas of power generation, different, so that, that was his outlook. Is that because of focus from the big three? So this is the other part of his question. The big three own twenty trillion in assets. Is this unprecedented in history? So first, who's the big tree? Big three. It's Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street. They're not really the biggest three investment companies or mutual fund companies. They're the biggest passive. So they have the biggest uh, index fund investments, and they are big gorillas when it comes to who controls what in the marketplace for pensions and so on and 401ks. But that doesn't mean that they're the biggest or the best or anything else. So when referring to the big three, they own 20 trillion in assets. Is that unprecedented in history? Well, it's hard to look at that as a, as a question. It's the first time they, as these three companies, have had this large an asset base but investment companies have held this much as a percentage of uh, the wealth of the nation or the wealth of the world pretty consistently for several hundreds of years. So there's, there's no precedent here. It is a large amount of money, huge amount of money, but we're a well-invested society. That's one of the benefits of being in the United States is Generally speaking, the vast majority of adults in the United States own some part of the economy. And that's either through household owning or through stock account or through 401k or through pension. That's not normal for the rest of the world. So it's not unprecedented in history. In fact, there are some things that say it's less concentrated than it used to be. I'll give you a very quick, sounds like it's a separate example, but Andrew Carnegie was the richest man on the planet uh, way back when the 20th century was new. He, if you apply inflation, would be a multi-trillionaire today. And when we look at who's the richest person in the world today, is it Elon Musk? Is it uh, Jeff Bezos, is it Bill Gates, is it Warren Buffett, uh, or is it uh, somebody in another country? Who's the richest person today? Well, you would have to stack them, on the, the first 20 of them together, 
to get the equivalent of the concentration of wealth that we had at the beginning of the 20th century. So there's a lot of commentary about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. That's a common commentary that goes way, way back. The reality is that wealth has been separated. We do have three companies with this concentrated wealth, not one. (laughs) So it's actually better than it has been in history in some ways. Yeah. There. Did we answer that question, do you think? I think we answered it pretty much to death. The bottom line to it is that there is a, if you're hearing BlackRock be pounded on right now, you're hearing it from one side of the political spectrum. Right. It's not about finance. It's really not about profitability. It's not about any of that. Because they've, they've actually done fairly well compared to the market and so on. I mean, they are well. the market in some cases. So to say that somehow they're damaging people, that would be the difficult part. Point to the damage. And this is true in a legal context rather than a finance question. This is an article written by two attorneys with 19 attorney generals as the subject matter. If this is a legal case, please point to the damages and the damages are missing. That's the issue. And and one of the things to be aware of, this is John's question was from the opinion page of the wall street journal. The opinion page of the wall street journal is rather opinionated. It's, it's opinionated and it's very much on, it's one sided argument and attorneys tend to, generally tend to make one-sided arguments and stretch things a bit in their one-sided arguments. And just be aware, if you read it from the, you read a opinion article from the New York Times, it's going to be to the left and it's going to be a one-sided argument. And the attorneys who write the article will have their one side that yeah. they're presenting. I just, and just be, it's good <laughs> to be aware that. I just had that conversation this week with somebody with a New York Times opinion piece and it was, um, talking about profitability of oil in general. And, and I was like, well, that you want them to be unprofitable. You don't want them to stay in business. That that's not a good idea either. <laughs> no, because I'm looking at your car out there in the parking lot and it runs on petroleum. So if you put the petroleum companies out of business, you can't drive. And the not other, to mention, yeah. So go ahead. Not to mention that the electricity used, if you get an electric car, is generated almost all by petroleum. Yeah, natural gas, wind, solar in Texas is a is a component of it, but it's still a very. It's still a minority of the of the energy that we're acquiring. So, okay. I mean, from our perspective, we get people upset at us from both ends of the spectrum, which probably means that we're right where we need to be. If we disagree with the New York Times opinion pieces and we disagree with the wall street journal opinion pieces then we probably fall right in with a big chunk of the nation and saying that's too extreme i there's a pretty consistent number out there about 35 percent of the people adults in the united states when surveyed are on the right wing about 35 percent are on the left wing and the rest are in the middle now 35 that's 30 percent in the middle and for whatever it's worth uh People sometimes don't like that. We're toward, we try to remain in the middle because we are fiduciaries and we don't want to lean to the left or right. We don't want to influence what we're doing from our political viewpoint. So we make a point of staying neutral. If we have a client, and this is something that, you know, we're kind of pulling the curtains back a little bit. We, if a client comes into us and says, I'm really concerned about uh, the changing climate and I really don't like 
the concept of the direction we're going with all the plastic. And I would like a portfolio that's structured to stay as much away from that as possible. The first thing we tell them is that's probably going to damage your long-term returns. If you're still okay with that, you're going to have also some extra expenses. If you're still okay with that, then we'll look at this because this is what you're interested in. And when we do that, we say, um, these positions are profitable positions, but the expense of finding profitable positions that also have this other context to them, we have to settle on some kind of a standard metric for what is working better for the environment. What is working better for social or governance? What does that mean? Uh, if if ExxonMobil gets a female CEO, their governance rating might go up. What does that have to really have to do with what Exxon's doing? That may be the best CEO possible, and that may be why that she gets elected. And this is a hypothetical because the current CEO is male. But you follow what I'm saying. If it's the mm -hmm. best person for the job, their rating shouldn't go up on the governance side because she's female. It should be, hey, they made a good decision. That's why their rating should go up. Um, that's hard to quantify. When we're looking at how the world is changing, you know, I don't know if there, you can ever say a new world order at this point. It's more like a new world chaos. Uh, there's a new world chaos coming to the fore. Um, but if you look at the fact that we now have a female prime minister again in the UK, that the uh, head of the EU is female. I mean, you could say, well, Europe, they're way over on the left side. So no, no, uh, the new prime minister in the UK is in the conservative party. Is that good governance? Did she get, did she get chosen because she was female? No, she didn't get, that was not the major factor in the decision for whether or not she should be prime minister. Was she the best one for the job according to her party? That's what was the main focus. And I realize politics comes in and you can say, hey, look, she's got the most diverse cabinet in UK history. And if, if somebody says I'm doing this to make the most diverse cabinet in history, then I think that's a, you could say, all right, they, they've got some kind of a prize maybe somehow for doing that. But if they're saying, I'm just trying to find the best people for the job and it happens to be diverse, that's the right way to approach this. Uh, you have something to add here. I'm not going to mention the name of a fund here. But I'm going to say that there was there is there is a mutual fund out there that I use to track how well, and I put quotations around marks around ESG uh, funds do because it was originally the the one go to and it, it is over 15 years old so I can look at it for the people who are generally referred to by the right as tree huggers. It's a, it's a go-to fund. As tree huggers? Is that what you said? Tree huggers. Okay. It yes. sounded we, like history huggers. Well, that could be. History uh, huggers and that, tree that huggers. Too. Yes. Right. Okay. Go ahead. And the argument in the opinion piece, uh, and, and John, if you want, I can give you at some point the name of this fund so you can follow it and see how you can check it. For the last, let's look at 15 years because they got 15 years of record. Over the last 15 years, they have significantly outperformed the S&P 500. Over the last 10 years, they have outperformed the S&P 500. So they mentioned in the article that socially conscious or whatever funds don't outperform the market or significantly underperform the market. 
I'm sorry, but it doesn't hold a lot of water. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm simply saying there is a statement in that opinion piece that is fairly easily refutable. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that we do when somebody, when we hear this is good or this is bad, you should invest in this or you shouldn't invest in that. Uh, we go back and look at the facts. And I think that's important to do in all circumstances. That's just a little comment. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, we've got a lot more to talk about what's going on in Europe, whether or not we're headed for a recession or, or not, if we're going to avoid it. Uh, but we've got a break for hard commercial. In the meantime, we got to tell you more about ourselves. We don't just do a radio program. We also, if you want to talk to us off the air, we offer investment advice, fiduciary investment advice to people generally high net worth. Uh, and you can reach us locally at 254-947-1111 or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can find our newsletter there. You can sign up for our newsletter and get it without having to go to our webpage. You can listen to our radio program going back lots of years. You can contact us through the contact form or directly at Jake or Jeff at tpwc.com. You can find our podcasts wherever podcasts are, uh, whichever place you like to go. You can find it by looking for the Personal Wealth Coach or TPWC, and we'll pop up there. Until next hour, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. Thanks for listening.